the Buffalo Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Monique Gordion, and the great news is you found the podcast, a space for stories that will arouse a smile and inspire us as we tap into our collective experiences. Enjoy. Welcome to the Buffalo Podcast, a space for your stories. I'm so excited to have Mandy Nolan on today. I've known Mandy via email for a few years now. She's a comedian, an Australian comedian. Welcome, Mandy. Oh, thank you, Monique. So it's lovely. It's you. actually a really nice day to be talking about stories because it's so rainy. It, it is rainy. In fact, the view from your window is grey. The mountain has disappeared. I know. It's like it's like the clouds do Photoshop. They're going <laughs> to go, and it's gone. Viewers here, viewers yeah, gone. But, you know, <laughs> it's the perfect... It feels like when it's raining that it's like a perfect storytelling day. So... Yeah. You should be able to hear that. It's like white noise in the background. And you love storytelling, don't you? Oh, yeah, I've made a career out of it. Like yeah. For me, um, I, I do it as my career. I, I'm always looking for story mm. constantly. I write books. Yes, And yes. I've written about five books now. Oh, and five? I didn't know. Yeah, I've written five. five published oh. five books. And, you know, I, I work, I've created a class where I curate stories called mm. Authentic You Masterclass, which is around getting people's narrative and getting people to find how they can use their narrative Mm. um, to really empower how they speak to Mm. people because very often people bury their narrative yes and the message you know is is not diluted by a narrative it's often enhanced yes I think and yeah I think people like you said they bury their stories or they lose touch with them they bury the lead yes (laughs) bury bury the lead what do you mean by that well that's a that's a thing um I started in journalism okay. and so when you bury the lead oh. it's when you you don't understand what the key of the story is yes. and instead of having the lead you always want the lead in the in the first sentence in yep. the top paragraph yep, yep. you don't want the lead in the third or fourth paragraph because no, no if you if your lead's not at the top no one's going to get yeah. to the third paragraph so yeah so, so the don't, call to attention exactly don't bury your lead yeah yeah bury your lead goes for life oh, don't bury your lead oh hello <laughs> that's you that's you now so You've got a story, maybe a little something that's you yeah. Can I do because uh, I, I share stories a lot, and I thought maybe it's good to share something I haven't really shared before. Oh, I'd love that. Um, as as a story, and it, and it goes back to where I grew up. Yeah. And I grew up in country Queensland in a town called Wandai, which means wild dog, um, and it was right near. Interestingly, it's right near Kingaroy. It's mm-hmm. where Joe Bielke Pedersen came from, who oh, was peanut. Yeah, peanut country. Joe Bielke Pedersen held Queensland in a sort of a banana republic um, for oh, I think it was like a couple of decades, yeah. basically with the National Party. It was a very it, Queensland really forged an identity then of being very different, and it was a bit more like. Um, the politics were knock down the environment, get rid of the hippies, get rid of the freaks, um, you know, no rights for Indigenous people. It was it was as close as we had, I think, Queensland to our own deep south. And I was living right in the middle of it. And I just happened to live with a family. Um, Your family? My, well, I lived with my family. So it was my mum. And my mum's father was a communist. And oh, wow. So here I am in... And we were, I think, one of the only labour... To be a labour voting family was unusual. I was told 
at school, you know, my mum would go, don't tell people who we vote for. You had to keep who you vote for quiet because it was such a big national party area. Funnily now, I'm now the Greens candidate for my region here. So politics runs fairly strongly and activism in my in my blood. But so growing up, that sort of, it was kind of the background. And so we're right near where we live is a... Um, was an indigenous like a indigenous community called Sherberg, which oh, yes. was um, a town that you know when they when they displaced people, um, and you know it, it was you know so many people from so many different places were taken and, and put into the mission, and it was that sort of sense of um, you know absolute like often people that um, whose you know mob were. At, war with the other mob or they weren't you know there was so many different dialects and language spoken in um, Sherbrooke in Sherbrooke yeah because oh. people had been taken off country yes, there was a lot yes. you know the whole stolen we didn't even know the whole stolen generation thing was happening right in front of us wow. and um my well my dad died when I was about six but before he died because he, he was um I think he was about 30 when he died Oh, sorry. That's oh, no, so it's not that tragic. It was actually good that he died, Monique. Oh, was that? <laughs> it was good. I wanted him to die. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think I willed him to death. Ah, uh, <laughs> die. No, he was, it was, well, it was just one of those, the, the classic thing, you know, my, it was in my mum was married very young, like 19, she was pregnant. Sure. Um, country town. He was, you know, gorgeous, great looking, damaged man. Um, that had grown up with an alcoholic father who hadn't spoken. My grandfather didn't speak for 40 years. That's another story. He didn't speak? No, he didn't speak. He just went in his room for six weeks, didn't come out. When he came out, he had a giant beard and never spoke to again. Seriously? My oh whole my life, I didn't know that was weird. And someone goes, what's uh, with that old man? I went, I thought he was the gardener for years, and then I found oh out he was God. my grandfather. Um, and my, my, no wonder you became a comedian. Yeah, like <laughs> that was all normal. It's most passive. That he took passive aggression to a whole new That's, art. I've never heard of that. I know. That's like he was, he was, he was, and he lived with you. No, he lived down the road. Oh, it was awful. I hated him. Wow. Um, Interesting. And he heavily damaged. Like he stopped talking. My dad was about fourteen or fifteen, and totally. Can you imagine? Like damage. Called him boy. So it was really oh, patronizing. Yeah, he was really damaged. Yeah. And so my dad was a, like an alcoholic, violent. Oh. So I had a very violent. Like my dad was Jekyll and Hyde, oh. adorable, loving, amazing, sober, drunk, violent, terrifying. You know, um, I remember mum once getting, um, she'd he'd have a gun, had guns in the house. Not that he would ever shoot animals because he couldn't shoot animals because he couldn't handle any violence towards animals, which oh. is bizarre. He'd go out shooting just like targets, yeah. etc. But he just, he'd disappear and he disappeared for about three days. And mum had this real thing about the gun in the house and she hated it. So this one day, she, he'd been gone for a day or two. So she hid the gun and then he comes home. He's really. He would, that kind of alcoholism where you drink so much, it's like you're not drunk, it's like you're just insane. Like, he'd be, like, mad. And he goes, there's only one way out of this carol, I've got to shoot my way out. Where's the gun? And he couldn't find the gun, fortunately. And then all these, he'd punched a cop out. And they all, about 12 cop cars pulled up and he got arrested and and sedated and and taken to hospital. Um, Well, he's really hurt, right? Yeah, that was really big. So... So fortunate. So as a little kid, I had this kind of pact with whatever I thought a god was, because I I would ha- used to do like bargains, and I went, well, mm. if I'm really, if my life is worth anything, he has to go. Mm. I pretty well went, he's got to go. I can't. I knew I couldn't have a life with him in it that was going to be worth living. 
And how, how old were you? Six, you said. When he died. And yeah. I remember watching it unfurl outside the window. It's weird to laugh oh, at it. Oh, you saw him die? I didn't see him. No, I didn't see him die. Oh. I saw... No, no, it was, I wasn't, I'm not that much of a... But no, I, no, I, no. I watched... <laughs> I'm not that powerful. <laughs> she says. Watch my aunt get out of a cop car. That thing when, it, you know, when the police turn up in your street and they come to the door to tell you... Yes. They came to tell my mother that he'd been killed. And my aunt, I remember just, I was watching through my curtain and I saw her fall. And even as a little girl, I went, this is it. It's done. And I heard my mum scream. They're, they're those moments that really, very crystallising. Um, and whilst I had, like, I really loved my dad, mm. the other part of me knew that even as a little kid, I knew we were headed to hell. There was nowhere else except hell. And so that was actually, that death was a... Um, a rebirth for me yeah, as a child. I, I got a life back. You do yes. not have a life living in domestic violence and no. alcoholism like that. It was, you know, terror. And I thought it was normal. I remember yes. going to some friend's house, Karen Preston, and she had really nice parents. And uh, they were scientists. And they ate brown bread and they played oh Scrabble God. after wow. dinner. That's and like I'm, another planet. I know. That's another whole dimension, I know. right? No, like, it's crazy. so different. I was going, this is a weird family. Like, like, who does and, this? Yeah, and you didn't, you didn't ever go. Oh, I want a family like that. You were just too removed. I just didn't. I didn't get it. Yeah. But I knew that what I was living was. You, you do know when you go. This is. Yeah, yeah it was unbearable. <laughs> and because my mother was so um, broken by it as well, I couldn't rely on her. I couldn't rely on my mother because she was the. You know, she was. You know, a very fragile woman that lived in this trauma for a long time and so as a child you'd learnt that you couldn't trust and you had siblings i had a little brother he was about six months old when my dad died so it was me but the girl i'm telling the story about oh yes is within this is about my sister shirley who's not my actual real blood sister but she's she's my my sister in, in that we grew up together so my dad um spent a lot of time this is his personality right like i said he's he was horrendous drunk mm. and and could be cruel and awful but actually quite a um, warm community um, and very loved person. So I've been hard marrying that up and all the conversations around domestic violence, I reflect back on that and go, wow, you know, it, it, it's quite complex. Anyway, so he, mm. he had a racehorse and he had the, a, he was always doing things like that, like buying, we could never afford it, but we'd, we'd have ridiculous things like that. So then he had to get a horse trainer and I lived down the road from the racetrack anyway, so it was close. And the guy that trained the horses was a man that he'd had a... In those communities, very often, you know, at that time it would have been in, you know, maybe the late 60s, he would have um, found himself, you know, out, out at the Aboriginal Reserve, spent a lot of time out there. And one of those white men that lived on the fringe of white, white fellow society mm. Mm. and... You know, the kind of black fellas let him hung around, mm -hmm. you know. And he would have, I think he got a, obviously he got a woman pregnant. It would have been Shirley's mum, who I never met. And Shirley's mum left her on his doorstep. Um, and I, Was she Indigenous? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and he, his mother looked up. She was only, when I met, when they came into our family, she would have been just about two. I was probably about three. And the grandmother looked after Shirley most of the time because her, her dad, so it's a really sad thing, was her dad, who obviously loved her, but was a horrendously racist man. Oh, oh. 
Yeah, like it was part of those kind of and like really, um, of that culture in that time. Like it's all, it's no fairy tales in any of this. And you go, so Shirley grew up with us, mm. and the the grandmother died, and then oh she lived with you. No, no. Oh, well, but... think she lived with the grandmother until when the grandmother died, her dad couldn't handle. So he, she started staying with us okay. a lot, mm-hmm. and over the years, even after my dad died, he her dad would drop her off at my house, at our house. And so she grew up with no mother figure except my mum and we were her siblings. And so Shirley lived with, with us off and on, but often, you know, there a lot until she's about 14, she would have been, mm-hmm. when when she left. And it was never formalised. People, it, was like, it wasn't a fostering situation. It was mm-hmm. just... And I remember, like, going to school with such a... Um, it was about six, I think it was about six or seven, maybe about, maybe closer to eight. I remember getting teased for having a black sister and I wouldn't walk on the same side of the road from her on the bus. My grandma, oh. my other grandmother found out and I got the biggest whipping from, from her. It was kind of, that was kind of, you know, I remember, maybe I was about six then, I think, because there's very strong value in our family, which I'm really appreciative of, was that, you know, that you didn't treat people less than, that, yeah. you know, um, you know, that, we weren't a family that was that was racist, that we were inclusive, that mm. um, and she was one of our family and you don't, you know, mm. you don't do that to a family member. So we had this we really we were really close growing up. Um, but it was never because it was never formalised. And at fourteen, like a teenager, Shirley kind of disappeared. Mm. In the sense that she well disappeared, she didn't really disappear. She just went to live in the indigenous in in a community oh. and it was never really talked about, but we just assumed, I guess my mum and I, that, you know, she'd want to get a sense of her own Aboriginality mm-hmm. and that living with a white family in town that, you know, isn't probably, you know, she probably, she'd met someone, she, I think she had her first baby at about 14 or 15. She was pretty young when she had her first baby. Um, and then I would hear of her, but never saw her. Like I didn't see her. She was just gone out of our lives. And I said to my mum once, I said, how does that happen? How do we have someone in our lives? Yeah. And then she's gone. Like she's just gone. And, you know, mum at that stage had, had left that area. She wasn't living there anymore with this little area where we'd grown up. And so I, um, I decided, I think I just had my first baby. And I think when you have... A baby. I was about 28, and having a baby gave me a real sense of what it was to be a child and have a child because I was not a maternal person and I had no sense of that. And I just said to my mum, "I've got to go and find Shirley. Like this oh. feels like really weird that mm. um, I've had this relationship as a kid, and then what? What? There's nothing. Like we just never see them, see her again. Like she's mm. it went. She's part of our family. How come you haven't? We haven't gone looking for her. Yeah. So I went back. It didn't take long. I found her. And it was one of those really amazing, was probably one of the most profound moments of my life, I would say, well and truly. Of, and I was really scared. Like I was going, she may just go, fuck off. Yeah. You've had nothing to do with me all yeah. this time. Yeah. Good on you, Whitey. Come yeah. in here. You know, because, you know, I didn't know how she felt about us. I didn't know whether she was angry at us. Mm-hmm. And it was really that thing of going to someone with... um a real open heart mm-hmm. and having to accept that she had every right to be angry at us for making no effort mm. in all honesty I don't know what we were doing but I was a kid and mum probably should have made a much bigger effort 
at the time, but making no effort to really check in on her that she was okay. She just disappeared and it was like, well, oh, I'll see you later. I guess because it wasn't formalised. I don't know. I've never really wondered about that. Well, I mean, I've wondered about it, but I've never really known what the answer to that was. But anyway, I turn up in her front yard and there's like dogs barking and there's, there's like, you know, a couple of car bodies here and there and I'm just standing, <laughs> like I was standing at the front. Just, I was holding my... my small child it was oh, really um wow. just standing there waiting and I, I thought I'll just wait because she doesn't know I'm coming I haven't phoned her or anything I'm just turning but up but you knew she was in that house yeah I knew she was there yeah. I'm pretty sure she was in that house yeah I found out that's where she lived and I didn't know whether you know she was home or not no. so I just stood there and then I saw someone like sludging the old out the window like one eye <laughs> and then she came out and she came out and stood on the front veranda and it was so and all the kids that were out playing they, they were her, they were her kids you know, they were, um, you know, by that stage she had four kids. Um, and, you know, I looked at the, and it was this really emotional thing. It's like she saw me and she recognised, she knew mm-hmm. who I was straight away. And she just, she just burst into tears. Like she just started crying. Oh. And then I started crying. Oh. It's very, it was like colour purple. Oh, it was that yeah. moment. Where going, and and yeah. I was like going, well, I was so like emotional. That thing of seeing someone after yeah. that long connection. And it was, ama- it was so emotional that, you almost didn't have to say, like, because yeah. we never talked about that because it was like this, yeah. we both had been kids when we lost yeah. each other. Yeah. So we kind of came back together um, and I stayed there. We, we talked and, you know, I had to find out about what had happened to her, what had happened in her life. And, and you know, here is, you know, two women with very different circumstance, similar at some time, but, you know, the enormous, I come from working class background, but... By virtue of my skin mm. um, in this country, I had enormous privilege mm. and opportunity. And, and she had had enormous pain mm. and hardship and suffering. So you know. how was she? Was she married or partnered mm, up? Or she'd up? had, she wasn't, she, she might have had a new partner then. The, I think the, the, she had, you know, different fathers to the kids. And mm. there was, you know, a story that went... You know, there's often lots of, you know, and, and that hadn't worked out for her, mm. the rich first relationship. Um, but, you know, and she was a fabulous mother, like really mm. a fierce, fabulous mother. Um, and the whole time I was there, like I was there for like five hours. She wow. didn't stop crying the whole time. She oh, cried God. the entire time. Like it didn't stop. And I was like going, it's like, I was like going, wow, this is really full on. Because here's a girl that had been abandoned and left mm. from really early on and, mm. and no one had come back for her. Mm. Like, people hadn't... She'd never met a mother. Mm. She'd, you know... Her dad used to leave her with us all the time and leave her for weeks at an end without ever knowing where she was. And so that mm. sense, her of being abandoned was mm. so deeply ingrained into... In, in, and suffering was so deep within her um of being hurt like that so that was actually a really beautiful moment I went on there I mean we live a long way away and I used to say why don't you come up to spend time with me and then I realized that that's that's such a you know that's not going to work for her because that's where she that's her country where she lives there that's her place she's not going to leave she would be really uncomfortable in this setting in this really middle class white setting full yeah. of you know and I would she's in the house all the day she would want someone I'd be out doing stuff yeah you know and that's not how she lives so yeah. um I, and I don't get to see her as much as I'd like to um, Do you write, write, is she... we talk we look we we text 
Yeah. And I'd probably go and see her about once a year. Mm. We, we catch up a text. And I've developed a really... Um, her kids are gorgeous, but I've developed a particularly close relationship with her second son yeah. who lives in Melbourne, who's a pretty phenomenal guy. In, he's a, he'll be, you know, he's a, an, an activist. He works in the health mm. and he's um, super bright, amazing, you know, fella. Who's, the Victorian government have just initiated that treaty thing. Have you heard about that? Mm. I haven't he'd be right in the middle of all yeah, of that because he works in policy and it's massive actually. Yeah, so it's um which is really lovely. So that is it's funny, isn't it? Because you talk of what is family and well and me reconnecting years ago with, with Shirley helped is that mum reconnected and mum and her speak probably more than we do. Seriously. Yeah, and so oh, her yeah. and mum and it was really lovely because mum has a huge fondness for her and, you know, she loves that. And Shirley really sees, you know, she's mum to to um, mm. to um her. And that's a really important... So when she's got stuff happening and, you know, she'll talk to mum. She's more likely to talk to my mum about stuff like that. Mm. And we'll have a... We'll, she and I will have a chat about something or other. But it was really... um Just around that reconnection of... Because of, none of those relationships were formalised. There was no... They were just... They were just a relationship that happened as we were growing up. There was yeah. no government department coming in yeah. and saying well this you've got custody of this person or yes. you're um well neighbors didn't dob neighbors in in those days no whether prob- it was good or bad but they should have sometimes yeah i, I know <laughs> i think they just closed the doors a lot yeah but pretended things yeah so i think exist. it was hard to know you know and we really thought that she was sick of us and she, and when we, when I talked to her, I said, "What happened? How do we lose?" She goes, "I thought you were over sick of me." And I said, oh. "We thought you were sick of us." So oh. we'd gone through this really long yeah. gap of yeah. probably twelve, thirteen years, yeah. where both parties had thought mm. the other person was kind of not wanting to continue a relationship, or they were mm. sick of them, or went, you know, it was really interesting. So yeah, it was really, really powerful reconnecting, and it was just like getting back that. Um, you know, and and one of the only real things I take out of where, like, there's lots of things I take out of where I grew up, but that relationship is the most important one, mm. you know, and, you know, and she, you know, she suffers. She's got multiple cirrhosis now. Oh, she's she? not in hugely great health. Mm. Um, you know, you know, it's hard, yeah. you know. Her kids are sort of mainly living around there except for one of her sons who's down south. But, you know, it's it's... And it's a hard place to live out there. Is it? Like, yeah. It's not somewhere I would choose to go. No. When I go there, I go there on right. purpose. Yeah. And dry and all of that yeah. sort of thing. It's about, it's probably a six hour drive from here mm. into right wing Christian. Oh. Um, oh. There's big Jesus signs everywhere. Really? And it's a hard place to be a black fella out yeah. there still like it's still So was this, she's still in Sherbrooke, right? No, no, no Sherbrooke. No. She's in one of the little country towns. Oh, okay. By. Yeah, it's you know. So it's well, you know, but it's also it's also a magical country. Yeah, it's just that you know I don't know. You know, in some instances, it's not as racist as it used to be, but you know, I don't think you really know what it's like until you live on the other side. No. You know, and you you get to see a really different. What I think the town was is really different to what she's seen and the stories that she knows, because that stuff doesn't happen to you when you're white. You just on the Gold Coast, right? Yeah. You just don't see it in Brisbane. No. You really didn't see it. No. 
So yeah. that's that was my so that would be my um you know, a part of and I'm really glad I went back. That was I'm glad I had that that thing where I went. I just had a moment where I went and sometimes you don't act on those things, but I went, I need to act on this. I need oh, I need to find I'm so glad you did. Yeah, it was because, really beautiful. You know, she probably wouldn't have right yeah and, and, and her connection was you yeah. know i was mm. you know i was i was her sister and i gave yeah. her connection back to yeah. the only person she had a sense of a mother from not knowing yeah, her, and not knowing her mom she cried for that amount of time yeah. your meeting with her was very yeah it was really uh, deep comforting and so compassionate you know she yeah it was amazing. a really beautiful it was like a wordless connection yeah like you went we talked about stuff but there was there was none of the you should have done this and you should have yeah. done that and why didn't you do this? Like, there was none of yeah, that, yeah. which would have been that toing and froing yeah. of, of what happened. It was it was just really lovely. Yeah. It was beautiful. So it's not... And I feel really privileged. One of the greatest privileges you can have, yeah. you know, for me is, you know, is that in that to those four kids, I'm aunt, you know, which is such a high level of... Yeah, in that community. Indigenous community, yeah. being called aunt is like you're revered. Yeah. In, in white community, art doesn't really no, mean anything. And, you know, when they, when, you know, my nephew starts calling me aunt and he'll say, oh, aunt, he just, he talks, calls me aunt all the time. I always have this little kind of like, I go, wow, I feel so privileged to be called aunt. Like it's a real, it's an honor mm. to, to be bestowed with, with that role mm. and that, and, and it is, and there's times, you know, what's been really lovely in times in his life where he's had some hard stuff happen and he's wanted to, you know, he's got in contact with me mm. and talked to me about mm. stuff because that's what you do with an aunt. You yes. you go to them to work yes, stuff out. Yes, because they can share things that they would yeah. never share with so, their parents. So right? in a sense, our yeah. relationship, yeah. Um, I'm probably now, I, I talk to Shirley, mm -hmm. but my relationship with him has mm. developed really mm. quite as a quite a beautiful relationship as yeah. well, as, a, as completely separate, yeah. which is um, it's one of those beautiful things of life. It's a gift. Oh, that's a beautiful story. It is a nice story. It's not even funny. No, it's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny. I know. Hello, you're a comedian. <laughs> I know. Sometimes comedians have deep and meaningful yes, stories. I think they do. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that wonderful story. And I, I know everyone out there would have loved hearing that. I really loved hearing it. And I thank you for, for sharing it. So thank you. And I look forward to you coming and hearing next week's Boffler. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>